welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. We're in the book of Mark. Who's been enjoying reading the Bible? Wow. (laughs) A couple of us in this church enjoy reading the Bible. I've been enjoying going through the scriptures and reading through systematically through this book of Mark. And um, you can see already as we get to Mark chapter 3 that there's a lot that's taking place. Mark is like this real, real kind of shorter, quicker, action-packed account of how Jesus has come. We see in the first couple of chapters that he is you know, declaring and demonstrating that the kingdom is here and he's experiencing opposition and all sorts of stuff. And then we're going to jump into Mark chapter 3 this morning. Obviously don't have time to read the whole of the passage or preach from the whole of the passage. Uh, so I'm going to spend some time in what I feel the Lord has placed on my heart as I've been seeking Him for this chapter in particular. Now I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a bit of a, a culture in Perth, probably in the whole of Australia right now, where there is this, this uh, tendency to substitute to substitute certain things for other things. An example of that, I did my online shopping uh, and you know, selected a whole heap of stuff that I was really in, excited to, to eat. And um, they didn't have what was meant to be you know, the brands that I had ordered. And so what did they do? They substituted it with something different. How dare they do that? I got these these noodles, you know, these cup of noodles that I, I just love to eat. And um, I don't know what it is, whether it's like the flavor, the, the special like marinated beef type flavor, or those little dry pieces of corn. I'm not sure what it is, but I just love these noodles. And, and anyway, they sent me substitute noodles. I rebuke that. Like, what is this? We don't have this, so we're going to give you this. Okay, it's more and more evident in um, one of my particular passions in life, which is coffee. Please don't get offended with what I'm about to say. Ten years ago, if you used to go to a coffee shop to order some coffees for a group of people, guess what you'd order? Coffee. And they'd all be the same. I recently had an experience where I asked a group of people where I was, going to, I, feel, I was feeling generous. I was going to go buy them some coffee. And I said, what would you guys like for your coffee order? And one person said, I'll have a uh, quarter strength, flat white. And I was like, so you, you want a cup of hot milk? And they said, well, not quite. Not full cream milk anyway. I want soy milk. Quarter strength soy, a half calf, decaf, no calf, hold the calf, double the calf. You go into a coffee shop now and you have a look and there is a, a list of coffees longer. It's got to go onto two pages, right? You, you take someone's coffee order, a group of people, you've got to like, take a seven-page PDF into the coffee shop to, to list out what everyone wants with all their different alternative milks. I'm getting a little bit worked up here. (laughs) But there was a time when coffee was coffee. Can we please go back? I'm living in the past, I know, but there's this tendency to substitute. I dare say that the church faces a challenge where we are at times 
pressured, be it externally or internally, to substitute some of the things that God has called us to, some of the things that he's put within us, for something that kind of looks like it, may sound like it, may taste in some ways like it, but isn't the real thing. Can we please never be a church that substitutes the power of the gospel for some feel-good message? May we never be a church that substitutes the power of the Holy Spirit for an environment, a sound, or some pulling toward something that would make people just kind of feel good? Can we be a church that never substitutes the Word of God for modern day philosophy or things that sound nice but lack the power of what God desires? See, Jesus encountered constant pressure and oppression, a pushback on, on his ministry. And we see it in, in Mark chapter 3, as he is starting to become somewhat uh, notorious in the land, as the miracles and the teachings and the things that he's been doing has been spreading throughout the land. He's, has, he's actually had to bounce across a couple of different places And everywhere that he goes, he seems to draw a crowd. We see this in Mark chapter uh, 1, Mark chapter 2, that when he's in a house, the house fills up with different people. The house gets filled with people. And let me tell you, every person that, that came to Jesus had an opinion. They had a thought of what he should look like. They had a thought of what he should do. They had thoughts of, of, of who he was. They had their own ideas and ideals of what the Messiah should look like. And what they would want from him. But Jesus never bowed to the popular opinion or pressure that was placed upon him. He stayed true to the mission that the Father had given him. He stayed true to uh, the values of the kingdom of God. And he did what he was supposed to do. We're going to read from Mark chapter 3. And I'm going to read... I'm in the NLT, and we're just going to read a few verses together today and look at some things that maybe we can learn that uh, God could quicken to our spirits, that we could apply to our own lives through the life of Jesus. I'm reading from verse 20 in Mark chapter 3. It says, One time Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. It's happening. Everywhere he goes, there are crowds gathering around him. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of the religious law who arrived in Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Satan. That's pretty... Strong words there. He's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets his power to cast out 
demons. Jesus is pressed with people. There are people all around him. He's got people who have come that are sick, that need healing. He's got people that have come that need food, that, that need uh, physical uh, things, the material things. He's got his family there. He's got these religious people there. And they're all kind of saying different things about who Jesus was. But here is something for us to take away today. Jesus understood that he would be misunderstood. Jesus knew that as he ushered in this kingdom that looked nothing like the world that that we were in, that there were going to be people who had different opinions and would misunderstand his purpose, his ministry, his heart as he was bringing these things. We just saw two groups of people. We saw his family members, those who had been closest to him, who had watched him grow into the man that he was by this point. And we also saw religious leaders who had been charged with teaching the law, who knew what God's law had said. And both of those people, both of those groups had differing opinions on Jesus. His family looked at what was happening and they said, he's out of his mind. Like this is his family. He is out of his mind. The religious people, they're like, he's possessed by Satan. They didn't understand what he was doing. They could not comprehend the fullness of what he was bringing as he was ushering in the kingdom of God. It is so abstract, so different to what they were used to. And so they tried to, this is what we think. He's gone crazy or he's possessed by Satan. But Jesus understood that that was going to happen. And he didn't let other people's opinions of him change what he was there to do. You see, his family, who, who, who were the closest to him growing up, they thought, hang on a second, what's he doing? He's, he's getting all this attention now. He's, he's changed. He's, he, he's got some fame. And now we can't get near him. We can't get a message to him. And, and, and they say, he's gone crazy. And then the religious are like, they can't understand what's happening. This, this is so... If you want to dig deeper, you look through Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 3. You see where the first miracles start to take place. They're in the synagogue. They're in the places where the religious would gather. And in those places when the kingdom of God came, liberty came. Freedom came. You know what? Religion will never set you free. Religion does not have the power within it to set people free. But when Jesus walked into those places, those religious establishments, people got healed. People got delivered because there's something different. And they couldn't understand that, so they tried to say, well, he's possessed by the, the, the devil right there. What surprises me is that at that point in time, the, the biggest superpower of the world was actually the Roman Empire. And Jesus didn't necessarily have issues with the Roman Empire at the beginning of his, his ministry. He had the biggest opposition from those closest to him and those who would say they were religious but could not recognize God. And yet Jesus was okay with it. And he continued to do what he was supposed to be doing. He continued to go about his business. I want to say to you this morning that uh, it is okay if you are misunderstood for following Jesus. You've got to get to a place where you're actually okay with people not understanding why you're doing certain things. 
Why, 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 are you, why are you going to church? Why are you serving in this area? Why are you giving money, $161,000 away? Why? That's just crazy. But that's what God's calling us to do. And if we try to say, oh, maybe we shouldn't do that so that we can kind of fit in or maybe we should change what we're doing, then we miss what he's actually wanting to do. Get comfortable with being misunderstood. Anyone who wants to follow Jesus is going to experience this. There will be people around you who do not understand why you are doing what you are doing. But keep doing it. Because if it's what God has put in your heart and what God has called you to, then that is the right thing to do. The closest people. Man, I experienced this. I'm a first generation Christian. Uh, my family, none of my, my, my parents, none of my family members uh, in any way ha- have Christian faith. And I was the first one to come to the Lord. They could not understand why I started going to church or why I stopped doing certain things. They thought I was brainwashed. I was called brainwashed. You've been brainwashed. Misunderstood. No, no, no. I'm doing what God has called me to do. If God's put something in your heart, maybe everyone else around you thinks, what is that? That's crazy. Be prepared to be misunderstood to follow him. The other group was the religious well, religious people always have some opinions. And they're always you know, pretty vocal about them. They like to kind of share what they are. But I see these as two areas of testing, particularly when it comes to your calling, when you want to follow Jesus. It's those who are close to you and those who are religious around you. And yet Jesus did not buckle to the pressure, to the questioning, to, to the opposition of either of those groups. Become okay with being misunderstood. As long as God understands you, that's all that matters. We saw the voice of the Father speak over the Son in Mark chapter 1 as he was baptized, after he was baptized, affirming his identity, affirming his position, affirming who he was. That is the voice that Jesus listened to. Not the voice of, of, of people around, not the voice of religion, but to the voice of the Father. What God says about you is the most important thing. What other people think about you isn't even your business. So don't make it your business. Just follow him and be okay with being misunderstood. So we see that it takes place here that they've got comments, they've got ideas about who Jesus is and what he's doing and they can't understand the power that he gets. And so then he calls them over and he responds with an illustration in verse 23. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan? He asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, similarly, sorry, a family splintered, my eyes are getting bad in my old age. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. Verse 30 tells us why he said this. He told them this because they were saying he was possessed 
by an evil spirit. Here is another point for us this morning. The kingdom of God brings division with it, but contains no division within it. The kingdom of God brings division with it, but contains no division within it. Let me unpack this thought a little bit for us this morning. When Jesus comes, he, he, he brings division between kingdoms. He comes and he pronounces, he declares that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. That starts to spark a, a separation from the kingdom of darkness. You cannot be in both kingdoms. You're either in the kingdom of light or in the kingdom of darkness. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to be separated from certain things, sometimes from certain relationships, in order to follow him wholeheartedly. And so as he announces the kingdom is here, he brings a level of division between those different forces, between those different kingdoms. We see it in, um, he says this in Luke chapter 12, verse 51 and 52. He says, do you think I came to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. Ooh, interesting. From now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me and two against. Two in favor and three against. So we've got to hold this in the whole context of Scripture, what, what he's saying elsewhere. When Jesus calls people to follow him, he's not giving them a good suggestion that this will be a good way of doing life. Just add me to your already pre-existing life. He calls us from that life, from that way of life, to a new way of life. It's not just putting on Christian stickers or worship music in your car. This is a whole new way of living, a whole new way of thinking, a repentance that means turning away from the old life and turning to God. That very action will divide certain allegiances. It will cause things to be, to be brought into question in where your allegiance is. Where is your heart? Because if I want to follow him, I'm going to have to leave some things alone. I'm going to have to come away from certain things. So he's calling, his kingdom actually brings with it an element of division between darkness and light. And he's pretty clear that that's what, he, that's what part of his mandate is. But then we also see that within the kingdom itself, there is no division. Okay? Within the kingdom, there is no division. And his illustration to these religious teachers shows his understanding of what division within a kingdom will do. It will cause it to crumble. It wasn't Abraham Lincoln that said a house divided against itself will fall. He was quoting Jesus. So whilst following Jesus may cause us to be separated from certain things, within the kingdom of God, there is actually no division. He gives them that illustration. And I wondered, you know, as I was reading it, I was wondering if he was having a little bit of a kind of a stir towards these religious leaders uh, because he says that a kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. 
If you're familiar with the Jewish history, you'll see that just before Jesus came, there was actually a civil war which was sparked, a lot of it was sparked by the religious understandings and debates that they were having. The group called the Pharisees, we refer to as the Pharisees, and Sadducees had had sparked some sort of civil unrest. Their nation, the Jewish people, were split from that point. They were feuding because of their difference of uh, understanding. And they called in some of the Roman leaders to actually kind of clean up the mess to try and help them to, to work it out. And guess what happened? Rome conquered them. It's exactly what he's saying here. That a kingdom at civil war within itself will fall. I wondered if Jesus was, was, was you know, kind of saying to them, you've seen this happen in your history The reason that you are right now under Roman occupation is because of the civil war and and the feuding in the kingdom. And then he goes on to say, a family that is splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. So he's saying that within his kingdom, there is no division. You say that I'm casting out demons by Satan, but Satan can't cast out Satan or his kingdom would collapse. It's a principle for us that there is no division in the kingdom of God. And we can trace this back not just to the the understanding of the kingdom of God, but to God himself. The Trinity, the triune God. There is no division within God himself, Father, Son, Spirit. There is distinction, but no division. And that is represented in his kingdom, that we are called to be together as one, united in our faith, united in our heart. If you look at what, uh, I find it real interesting to read through uh, 1 Corinthians, which is a highly corrective uh, letter. Paul is addressing a lot of different issues that are taking place in the church at that point in time. And he's, he's addressing sexual immorality. He's, he's addressing um, some of all, all, a whole heap of different things. Improper worship. The way that they're, they're, they're having their uh, communion meals. He addresses all of these different things. But the first thing he really addresses in 1 Corinthians 1 is division within the church. He addresses first and foremost that they were creating factions within the church. Because in his kingdom, there is no division. We're called to live in unity. Not just in denominations or in local churches, but in the church. We are called to be one. It was Jesus' prayer. I pray that they would be one. As you and I are one, united. So following Jesus is going to cost us when he calls us out of darkness to follow him, there, there, is, there is a separation that will take place. But within his kingdom, there is no division. We had a lady come to our service, and I think I shared this at an encounter service once, but we had a, a Muslim lady come to our service in uh, Ellenbrook one Sunday. And at the end of every service, as we do here, we give a, a, an opportunity for people to respond to the gospel And uh, if they have any questions about who Jesus is or what following Jesus would be, to come and have a chat with us after the service. So I sit on the stage nearly every Sunday after the service waiting if anyone wants to chat. Usually not many people come and chat. 
But this one Sunday, this lady came in with a head covering. She was a Muslim background. And she started to ask me questions about the Bible. She started to ask me questions about who Jesus was. Uh, did he really rise from the dead? And, and I, was, I was trying to answer her questions the best that I could. And then I started asking her some questions and saying, like, where, what's making you think these things? What's making you ask these questions? And it turned out that she had had a dream. And in this dream, Jesus appeared to her and told her who he was. Spoke to her in a dream. When he spoke to her in this dream, he told her his name was Jesus. So guess where she went? Looking for Jesus. She went to every church in our local area looking to see if she could find Jesus. She went to the Catholic church and she asked questions. She, I think it was to like a Mormon church and she asked questions. She had no concept of what the church was. One of the things she asked me was, why do you guys have so many Bibles? I was like, yeah, good question. We only have one Bible, but there's lots of different translations. She goes, but these other guys have this other book. I'm like, oh, Okay. Well, we don't read that one. <laughs> Just stick into this one. But she was asking questions, right? And she was so genuinely seeking Jesus because he appeared to her. And she said this to me. We were having a conversation. And then she said, my, I think she said, my son was sick one time and I was, you know, I was praying. And then I just called on the name of Jesus and he was healed. So she knows the power of Jesus. She knows Jesus revealing himself to her. And then she says this to me, which like blew me away. She said, if I turn to Jesus, I will be disowned by my family. They will, my father will have nothing to do with me. They will literally cut me off from the family if I turn to Jesus. And she said, but if he is real, then I have to. I was like, man, you're just ministering to me. Like she was ready to risk it all to follow Jesus. To be separated from the ideology, the religion, even in some parts of the family, in order to follow this Jesus that she now believes in. Incredible uh, testimony of someone who... You know, has realized that this is that Jesus is real, but following him is going to cost her some stuff. What else Jesus says in that, that passage there, as we're looking through Mark chapter 3, he, he says that Satan can't cast out Satan. It, it actually requires someone who is stronger. What's he saying? He has greater power than Satan. Yes, the demonic may have power, but there is one who is greater. There is one who is more powerful. And he's pointing to himself to say that it's only the one who is more powerful that can come and cast this out. And then he says that every sin can be forgiven. Every sin, let me find it. Every, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Let's back that with Luke chapter 12, verse 10. It says, anyone who speaks against the Son of Man, Jesus saying this, can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit 
will not be forgiven. I was reading it this week again and, and seeing can be forgiven, but will not be forgiven. Can be forgiven, but will not be forgiven. All sin, all blasphemy can be forgiven, but this will not be forgiven. And I see this again pointing to the unity within God himself. Jesus said, you can say what you want about me, but to blaspheme the Spirit? No. There is no division. Distinction, yes, but no division in God himself. You might be sitting there thinking, "Uh uh-oh, hope I didn't do that this morning. Bit of blaspheming the Spirit. The, the, the stirring in our hearts that, that, does, that we, we don't want to is probably a good sign to us that God is actually working in us and that we're not blaspheming. Yeah, we can stifle the Spirit. We can mock or, or scoff at the spiritual work. But he's saying, he holds this in, in very high stead that th- th- this is what we call the unpardonable, the unforgivable sin. Which again to me just says that he's elevating and the, the reverence that they hold to one another in the Godhead. This ongoing honor and glory that is shared and given, received through God himself. Then we read on and we see just at the end here, He's dealt with the, the religious crew. Then he says, it says in verse 31, Then Jesus' mother and, mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out to talk to them. They couldn't even like go in there. They couldn't get into this room to see him face to face. They had to send messenger and not like Facebook messenger. This is like sending someone in to go and get him. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Interesting question. An interesting way to respond to them. Then he looked at those around him and he said, look, these are my mothers, uh, sorry, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Here is the last thought for us. Blood really is thicker than water. So this, this saying, you may be familiar with it, blood is thicker than water. We've actually inverted the, the initial meaning of the saying. If you were to trace back where this saying comes from, the actual saying that was used previously was the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. And it was traced back, you can trace it back to um, soldiers who shed blood on the battlefield And the bond that they had because of the blood that they had shed, they called themselves brothers. They said that the blood of the the connection or the covenant is actually thicker than the water of the womb. So because of what we have shared in, the blood shed and the war and the, the battles that we have shared in, our connection is stronger even than our family ties. Think about that. The blood of the covenant that we share in is thicker 
than the water of the womb, thicker than the, the family connections that we have. Jesus says, this is my real family. Those who do the will of God are my real family. I don't think he was actually discounting his mother and his brothers because later we see that they play an integral part in the outworking of the mission. He wasn't just dismissing them, but he was opening up to say, that's not just my family. Everyone sitting in this room that does the will of God, that is my actual family. Now let that just sit with you for a moment. Don't become familiar with that thought. Because we can. Yeah, I'm just part of the family. Like I'm a child of God. I'm part of the church family. The God of creation chose to make it possible for you to be called family. The God of all power made a decision to bring you, to adopt you, to, to make everything possible for you to be part of his, not just an army, but a family. That we now share the same blood. That we are now part of something that is much bigger than ourselves. That you have brothers and sisters sitting next to you, sitting in, in different buildings right now across Perth, who are your family, that you have brothers and sisters right now living in different nations that are your family. What an honor it is to be called children of God. What, what, a, what an, an absolute delight and joy it is to be called children of God and to be part of his family. And he calls us into this place of intimate relationship with him. We're not just servants. Although we serve. We're not hirelings. We're family. We are called into the family of God. You can become stale and, and that, that can just become a repetitive kind of idea. But to a new born again Christian, that is life changing. That is absolutely life-changing. And so we then, as the family of God, are called to embrace other brothers and sisters into the family of God. Who is my family? Not just my, my biological mum and dad. I've got family in this room. You've got family in this room. And we're called to be family. Family isn't always Fun at times. You know, there's, there's another postmodern kind of concept that we, we, we put, could substitute within the church is that family has to feel like something. You know, oh, that just feels like family. Sometimes family literally feels like being upset at each other, not getting along with each other, but being so committed to one another that we're willing to work through whatever needs to be worked through to protect the unity that God has called us to. It's not always fluffy fairy floss and merry-go-rounds. Sometimes it's difficult conversations, but holding to the commitment that we are now in covenant community because of what Jesus did. And you can bounce to another congregation 
but you can't bounce out of the family. And those things that we tend to, 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 to struggle with in this family, guess what? You probably take them with you. <laughs> but we're called to family. I told you I'm a first generation Christian. When I came to Jesus, one of the most powerful things for me was to be embraced by people who did not know me, who did not judge me, who accepted me when I felt like I shouldn't be accepted, who, who embraced me when I felt like I shouldn't be embraced, who gave me opportunity and food and friendship and family. And that was part of the transformation in my personal life. Jesus says that we're family. That's truth. It's not just, yeah, yeah we're kind of in the same church together. You're actually now blood relatives in, in, in his blood, in the blood covenant. You're actually together. I remember you know, growing up, I was 15 years old, sitting next to my dad's bed as he is in the last stages of cancer. I hold his hand. He passes away, closes his eyes. The rest of my life changed from that point. I go off, if there was a track that you could go off, I went off it 14 times. My life went in the most crazy direction. In and out of lockup, addictions, all sorts of stuff. In and out of relationships, bouncing around friendships, all sorts of things. Then I came to Jesus and I found family. People that would not, you know, cast me aside, but would embrace, would love, would care for. Spiritual fathers, men of faith that would do the journey with me, that would walk alongside where there's been absence from physical, biological, that would embrace, disciple, challenge, rebuke at times, call back into alignment at times, champion, encourage in this family. And as I was preparing today, I felt like God's heart for this family has not changed. That this would be a place where people can come, find Jesus, find hope, find family. And not just the feel of family, but genuine family. And if that is to happen, it's not Pastor Josh's job. It takes us actually understanding that this is who we are. It's not just what we do. It's actually who we are. We are family, family of God. And we want to live together, love together, do life together, and help other people find this Jesus that we love so much. So who is your family? 
my mother, my brothers are here. I wonder if we can pray. And just invite God to do a sealing and settling work in our hearts. To understand the truth of what he's saying here. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what we see in the life of Jesus as we open the scriptures this morning. I thank you for the challenge to my own heart of of, of where my allegiance is and those things that potentially you want to separate us from. You've called us out of darkness and moved us, transferred us into the kingdom of light. We pray, God, that our physical lives reflect what has taken place already in the spiritual. And that our lives would reflect your light, your love, and your life in this world. We pray that you would help us to turn away from those things that may even create division in our own hearts. That may create division in our attention and our focus. That we may be solely focused upon you. Lord, grant us the grace and the courage to step into those things. To step away from those things. And to have the wisdom as to where that applies to us. Lord, I also pray that you would bring again afresh that that revelation. Who is man that you are mindful of him? Who are we that you would call us sons and daughters? That you would lavish your love upon us? Lord, may that never grow stale in our hearts. May we have a deep sense of appreciation for what you have done to bring us together. And I pray that you would soften our hearts one to another. Lord, that your church would be known by the great love that we have for each other. Let this place, not, this, not just this building, but this group of people be bonded in spirit, united in heart, that we may truly be the family that you have called us to be. Lord, I pray that you would continue to create connections between people who have been disconnected, who have been isolated, who have been hurt, or who have perceived hurt, that they would be brought together in unity under the name of Jesus. God, would you grant us grace and courage to deal with issues that come up between us whilst we hold firmly to the commitment we have one to another. We pray against that that mindset of this culture 
streaming into the church. That relationship is just disposable. Lord, may we see that what you have done, the shedding of your blood, has united us. And we know that it's for a purpose. So Lord, would you do what you want in us and through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.